Stories. Everybody's got them, and we can learn from each other. History can be traced through letters and writings, but the one thing that has remained throughout the generations is the oral tradition. Oral history is one attempt to pass along the stories, tales, musings, and remembrances of one family for the benefit of listeners for generations to come. Join us now for this episode of Oral History with Jeff Zulkowski. Hey, welcome to episode three of season two. So overall, episode 29 of Oral History. Appreciate you joining me, and I apologize for a bit of a delay in getting this particular episode out. Um, If you think back to two episodes prior to this, I had an episode called Ghost Sports, and yesterday was a Ghost Sports kind of day. I purchased some very cheap tickets to a very cold Cleveland Browns Baltimore Ravens game and went by myself and watched uh, about three quarters of the game till I was just so frozen that I couldn't stick with it anymore. So that kind of made my life last night a night of thawing out. So thank you for uh, staying with me for an extra day. And I've got uh, part two of Christmas memories today that I wanted to share with you. Uh, Two weeks ago, I shared with you kind of the Growing up, the secular look at uh, our lives as a family, growing up in Florence, Colorado, and what Christmas was like, some of the gifts that we uh, got, some of the gifts we didn't get, some of the gifts that we were surprised by, how my parents went through extraordinary lengths to hide gifts from us as kids and things of that nature. So go back and listen to that, and you'll have a really good feel for what my family kind of did uh, around the secular side of Christmas, the 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 gift giving, the you know the just the being together, the, all of that. But I wanted to talk to you about more of the spiritual side of things, and and there was some aspect of that to my life growing up. Um, from age birth to fourteen, we were part of the Catholic Church, and. Every Christmas, without fail, we were we were not what we call C and E Christians. We were not just there on Christmas and Easter. We were there pretty much every week. Um, you know, through at least three Sundays a week, we were in services, and we went to uh, confession once a month. And we were there for Christmas, and we were specifically there most years for midnight mass. And Midnight Mass at St. Benedict's in Florence was, it started at midnight, and it was about 45 minutes to an hour long. And as a kid, it was a little odd that on Christmas Eve, you know, we would beg my parents to allow us to open one gift, and they pretty much held fast to, you know, we're going to open all of our gifts tomorrow morning, but about 9 30 10 o'clock we're all getting dressed up on christmas eve and you know you don't just go to church in pajamas as a kid you go you get dressed up and you go because it's a nice service and people you know are there and so we would get dressed up and about 11 45 we'd head across town and we'd go to saint benedict's and we'd see a number of families that we would see every week in church, and then we would see some people that we didn't always see because it was fuller than usual. And it was just a very sweet service. The priest would typically teach out of the text of either Matthew or Luke, and it was very 
factual in nature. It was about who Mary and Joseph were. It was about who uh, Elizabeth and, and Zechariah were and how the babies were being born, how John the Baptist was born and how Christ was born and how the, the, the child lay in the manger and there was no room at the inn and all of those things that we know from the Christmas story. And it was sweet, but for a kid, it was also a real challenge to stay awake. I was not the kind of kid who went to bed with visions of sugar plums dancing through my head, but I was the kind of kid who had visions of slot car tracks and CB base stations and drum kits and mastermind and operation and twister and all of these things were dancing through my mind nerf guns and nerf footballs and um so i would go and just like every other service at catholic church i would tend to fall asleep on somebody's shoulder and i've told you in the past that one of the songs that i loved most masses ended with in our congregation was a song called The Mass Has Ended. And I loved the song because it was a great song and because it meant I didn't have to go back to church. Well, I would wake up about the time the end of the service would roll around on midnight mass. And it was typically something like, oh, holy night or silent night or something of that nature, something very traditional that we would end with. And then we would head back across town and take up take off all the dress clothes and get in our pajamas and crawl into a warm bed. Yes, I realize these are first world problems. But we would, you know, go to bed and dream about what was going to take place the next morning, just a few hours later. I mean, it's by this time every Christmas day, it's probably 1, 1.15, maybe even 1.30 in the morning. And we're going to start early. Um, my sister and I particularly, but my brother as well, we made sure we were going to start early. So maybe four or five hours of sleep, and then it was all going to take place because we had those visions of the gifts dancing in our heads, and we wanted to get to that part of it. But Christmas was really kind of that for the first 14 years. For the next four years, my four years of high school, when my family left the Catholic Church over a dispute regarding my sister and brother, brother-in-law, and just how the church wouldn't marry them, when we left the Catholic Church, we stopped going to church anywhere. Now, my sister and her husband had come to faith and were attending a Southern Baptist church in our hometown, and I'm pretty confident. I don't remember specifics, but I'm pretty confident we went to a number of Christmas Eve services or Christmas Day services at that congregation. But at that point in my life, I had really no interest in anything religious. Um, we had left the Catholic Church. I That was in the rearview mirror for me, and I was not looking back with any fond remembrance, and I was definitely not looking ahead to anything. I was just kind of a secular kid. And so I don't recall a whole lot about those four years, about our experiences at Christmas, but I imagine they were similar to most Southern Baptist churches. It was a, a pretty service. It was, you know, traditional Christmas carols. It was a good message, again, out of Matthew or Luke, and it was kind of the same story. It might have had a more gospel focus to it 
meaning it was less of just the facts of the events of Jesus's birth and more tied to the idea of why Christ had come. But at the same time, as a kid of 14, 15, 16, and 17, I was not really all that interested. In the fall of 1983, the Lord really began to grip my heart. And if you listen to some of my previous podcast, you'll realize that on October 30th of 1983, I surrendered my heart to Jesus Christ. And it was a situation where I was dating a young woman by the name of Daria, and she pointed out to me that we were dating, but we were going in two very different directions. And she was a Christian, and I was not. And I was not kind of becoming more like her. She felt like she was becoming more like me, more secular, and she said, it just can't be that way. And so with that challenge on my heart, with four years of my brother and sister-in-law praying for me through a series of events where God had opened my eyes to a desire for truth in these things called religion, God gripped my heart that night. And that first Christmas, after surrendering my heart to Christ, was a very, very different Christmas for me. I, I have a friend who, he sang a song, he, he, he's a recording artist, and he, and he recorded a song called I Can See, and it was about two men on the road to Emmaus. It's a story in the Bible. Uh, after Jesus' death and resurrection, he appears to these two men on the road to Emmaus, and, and they don't recognize him, and their hearts are in agony because of all that's taken place after Jesus' death, and they don't understand why Jesus, the Messiah, had had to go that way, and they didn't realize that, at least at this point, that he was alive. There were rumors, but he appeared to them and kind of challenged them with some questions and then revealed himself to them. And when he revealed himself to them, he disappeared. But at that moment, they could see, they could see why he had come to earth and why he had to die the way he did. And my friend, when he recorded this song, he used it as a way to witness to a friend of his in an apartment complex that he lived at in Nashville, Tennessee. And he gave a friend of his this CD and said, listen to this, specifically this song called I Can See. I want you to listen to it, and I want you to tell me if it makes any sense to you. And the guy came back to him and said, it absolutely doesn't make any sense at all. And so for a period of time, he kept witnessing to this friend. And eventually, when the friend did come to the point of surrendering his life to Christ, the first thing he did is he went back to my friend and he said, I now understand what that song's about. He said, I understand what it means to now see. And why this is true is because of the third person of the Trinity, the third person of the Trinity is the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit comes to live within a believer. When I surrendered my life to Christ in 1983, in October, that's when the Holy Spirit came to dwell within my heart and to illuminate to me the things of God and the things that were only intellectual up to that point suddenly became very real and very personal to me. 
And so that very first Christmas, when I was celebrating the birth of this Emmanuel, God with us, the, this idea that God sent his son to come and be born a baby in a manger, completely alone as a family, in a field, in this cave most likely, to come in those humble circumstances. For the first time, I saw this Christmas story with the eyes that were illuminated by the Holy Spirit in my life. And it was one of those moments where I, like my friend's friend, could finally see what it was that God was trying to accomplish in my life. And Christmas became very special, very personal, and very real for me for that and the 40 years since. Now, I've had many years within church work. I've had many years within a variety of different churches. The theme every year is the same. In fact, my pastor recently kind of talked to me about how how difficult it is to preach on Christmas and Easter because there's so much of an expectation about what it's going to be. Everybody comes into it going, yeah, I know the story. I know about Jesus being born in a manger, and I know that the shepherds were there, and yes, the wise men came later, and all of these different things. And it's just everybody's so familiar with it that it becomes difficult for a pastor to teach it in a way that is something new. But the overarching real truth of Christmas is this idea of God being with us, God choosing to come and live with us, God in the form of Jesus Christ coming to humble himself, to be born of a virgin, to be a baby in a manger, completely helpless, completely helpless. Every baby is. And God, who is the supreme creator of the world, who is present when, when the world was spoken into being, is suddenly now a whimpering baby in a cave in somewhere in the Middle East without shelter, without warmth, without anything, without a place to stay. Born into this family that the mom went to the dad and said, I'm pregnant, but God did it. And Joseph, in his humility and his love and care for the person to whom he was betrothed, said, I'm going to see it through. I'm going to stay with her. I'm not going to set her aside. I'm not going to divorce her. I'm going to become the stepdad of God with us. And This is the story of Christmas, that Jesus came for a reason, and he came in these very humble circumstances because he had to live a life that was just like the kind of life that you and I are going to live. We were born completely helpless. Now, we weren't born in a feeding trough or in a cave. We were probably born in a well-lit, well maintained hospital somewhere in, you know, 20th or 21st century America for the most part. 
but we were born completely helpless, and we were born not knowing what was next. Our parents had our best interest at heart, and they took care of us, and they loved us, and they did things for us, but we were completely dependent upon them. And God the Creator, God Jesus Christ, came to earth and did that for us so that he could be the ultimate sacrifice. Back to the two men on the road to Emmaus, after Jesus' death and resurrection, it became clear again through the power of the Holy Spirit, Spirit for these two men to realize, oh, God had to come and live this life so that he could be the substitute for me. And that's what God illuminated in my heart in 1983. And that's why every Christmas since has been so precious and so special. Now, I will admit that many years in Christian service, either paid or not paid, volunteer or otherwise, I've been in a lot of Christmas services. The 14 years I was at CVC, uh, Cuyahoga Valley Church, the 14 years that I was there, there were routinely anywhere from four to five, maybe six Christmas services every year. So do the math easily at CVC, that's almost 100, if I'm doing the math right. It's in the 80s, Christmas services I was a part of. Over my 40 years of being a, a believer in Christ, and even the 14 years of my upbringing, I'm well into the hundreds of Christmas services that I've been a part of. And some impacted me, and some didn't. And some of them, before I was a believer in Christ, impacted me, maybe not in the same way that many since I've become a believer of Jesus Christ have. And some of the ones that I've been a part of since I've been a believer have not impacted me because I was so busy with what I was doing. But I approach this Christmas season with a, with a childlike wonder of just being in awe of what it is that God has done and, and what it is that he accomplished by coming to be Emmanuel, God with us. And I love, love, love the fact that one of the greatest stories of Christmas for my wife and I came five years into our marriage. Five years into our marriage, we were in the process of adopting. And if you've not heard the stories, go back and listen to the Zolkowski years, parts one, two, and three. But our process of adoption began shortly after we got married. We were 40 and 36 years old, and we were trying actively to become parents, and it was not happening. And we found out that I was infertile and that it was not going to happen for us in a natural way. And after we grieved over a period of time, we had a time where we adjusted, and I came to uh, a peace with God over what God was going to do in our lives. And Larissa came along shortly after that. And we started that process in September of 2009, I believe it was. 
and we went a, f- a full calendar year plus. We were into December of 2010, and we, for a multitude of reasons, we wanted to be parents. But we wanted to be parents before the end of the year. We had just we had set some markers, we had set some hopes and some goals in our lives, and we wanted to be parents before the end of the year. And as we approached Christmas Eve, we came to the week of the 21st and 22nd of December of that year. And on the 22nd, I was on my way to work, and I was getting ready to go and do all the things that have to be done. In a, in a large church, if you're not aware, Christmas is a big deal, um, Easter's a bigger deal, but Christmas is the second biggest deal of the year in the calendar. The The most people come at Easter, the second most people come on Christmas. At CVC, it was well over 3,000 usually for multiple services, and there was just so much to do to get ready. Um, so things were so much more complicated and so much more uh, just there was so much m- many more elements involved, choirs and um you know, speaking parts and drama parts and lighting and all of that was just, everything was amped up. And so I was ready to walk, you know, go to work on the 22nd of December to try to put up finishing touches on all these things that needed to be accomplished. When my wife and I got a call, we had been in the pipeline for a child. We were pretty much at the top of the list of parents who were available and ready to take a child, uh, take a placement. And we got a call one morning. I was getting ready and my phone rang and I knew enough to answer the phone if it was a 614 area code because that's Columbus. And I realized that that might be our agency. So I answered the call and our adoption agent, our, our social worker said to me, we have a social medical history that we want you to look over. And I said, sure, absolutely send it. I'm getting ready to go to work, but send it. We'll take a look at it. And my wife yelled from the bedroom and said, ask them when the baby is due, because the previous placement that we had had, the mother approached the agency in July, but she wasn't Actually, she approached the agency in May, but she wasn't due until August, and she had changed her mind by the time the baby had come. And so Riss yelled from the bedroom, ask him when the baby is due. And so I asked the social worker on the phone, and I said, when is the baby due? And there was a pause on the other end of the phone, and she said, well, the baby was born last night. And that moment of silence that I let you feel right there was the same thing that happened in my heart. I immediately began doing the math in my head because it was real. It was suddenly very real. There's a child in this world that needs me to be a dad to her or him. And I did the math, and I realized that in the state of Ohio, a mom has to wait 72 hours from the t- 
time the child is born before she can sign the surrender papers and allow the child to become a a ward of the agency and the adoptive parents step in and care for the child for those first six months until you have what's called a forever date at a pro at a probate court somewhere in your state in in somewhere in Ohio and then the child becomes yours forever so I did the math 72 hours baby was born last night that was December 21st that means the mom's gonna sign a surrender paper on Christmas Eve about 8.30 or 10 o'clock at night. And I'm going to be a dad for Christmas. And I kid you not, for the next few minutes, I could not process anything. I felt like I had one floor nailed to the, one foot nailed to the floor, and I was walking in circles. My wife was getting ready because a friend of ours named Angel was on her way to spend the day with Riss. Just it was a few days for before Christmas and they were gonna go do some shopping together and Angel was on her way and when Riss called her and said, We're gonna get a baby, Angel immediately said, Well then I'm gonna let you guys be alone. You guys need to figure this out. And my wife my wife before she could respond, I spoke up and said, no, 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 no. Angel needs to come because she's been through some stuff like this. They, she and her husband were foster parents. And I, I said, I need somebody to come and basically tell me what to do because I can't even think straight right now. My wife and I together didn't have the mental capacity of one human being. We had about half a brain between us and we needed somebody to come and just give us tasks. And that's what Angel did. She stepped into our life at that moment and she gave me things to do. She's like, okay, I need you to go to the store and do this, this, and this. And and I and call your work and tell them you're not going to be there over the next several days. And for me to not be there as the technical director of this church was a big deal. It was a big deal for me to not be there. But everybody rallied around me and said, you go do what you got to do. You're going to be a dad. And so they rose up and they took care of everything in our, on our behalf. And you can go back and you can listen to all the nuances of what those three days were like in the hospital, meeting Crystal, the birth mom, for the very first time, meeting Grandma Cheryl for the very first time, holding this little baby Alexa for the very first time, the what those three days were like, what that what those last few hours were like. But what I want to do is I want to kind of transport you into about nine o'clock on Christmas Eve. So nine o'clock on Christmas Eve, Larissa and I are alone. We're as alone as Mary and Joseph were with the baby Jesus. We're sitting in a nursery at OSU Medical Center in Columbus, Ohio, and there's nobody else there. It's Christmas. Pretty much everybody's cleared out. They try to discharge people as as much as they can and so that people aren't anywhere in the hospital through Christmas Day. Some are, obviously, but there were no babies present. It was Alexa Joy, my wife and I, and that was it in this room. And we're on pins and needles because we don't know yet. This is 930. We don't know yet whether Crystal is going to follow through and sign the surrender papers so that Alexa can become our child. 
That was still a very real possibility that Crystal could change her mind even at that last hour. Now, Crystal had been discharged from the hospital about 4.30 that afternoon because in her own words, she said, I have to go home and get Christmas ready for the three girls I have at home, so I need to get out of here. And we understood that. But we were completely alone. The only person that was available to us was one nurse who would wander in occasionally and just ask us if we needed anything, if we needed something to drink or something to eat. She was very sweet. She held my wife at one point because she knew my wife was missing her mom. She was just, she was special to us. I, I'm so I'm so disappointed in myself that I don't remember her name, but my wife does, and she was there for us, but she was the only person. We were alone, and it was, and I, I'm not going to put myself on the same plane with Joseph or put my wife on the same plane as Mary or put Alexa on the same plane as, as the baby Jesus, but we were just as alone as they were, and about 10 o'clock, 10.15, I believe, we were sitting there and we had gotten to the point where we couldn't even talk anymore. We couldn't talk to each other because nothing we could say was going to make a difference. We were completely dependent upon the circumstances that were in front of us. All we could do was love and hold this baby, whether or not she was going to be ours. We were going to love her at that moment and we were going to care for her, not knowing what the future held. But about 10.15, we heard the door open, and we heard the click of high heels behind us. And if you know, nurses don't wear high heels. Nurses wear rubber-soled, soft, comfortable shoes because they're on their feet all day. And so we knew it wasn't the nurse. And we both just kind of looked up without saying a word, and our social worker, who was named Megan, was walking toward us with a piece of paper between her hands, smiling from ear to ear. And she said to us, you guys are parents. And it was very real, very suddenly, that we were parents. I can't imagine what it was like for Joseph and Mary to be parents, or in Joseph's case, step-parent, of the living God being alone and suddenly realizing where they were and who they were and the role that they were going to play in eternity. Just like Riss and I suddenly realized that we were going to play a role in this little human being's life for the rest of our lives and for the rest of her life and for the rest of whatever progeny she has. I was suddenly a dad. What was more remarkable in that moment was my wife who suddenly became a mom and I watched a switch flip in her and she immediately, she was like, all right, we need to get this ankle monitor off of this baby because I got to get home and I got to take my baby home. But I want to take you now to a church service that was going on about that same time. We're approaching 11 o'clock. And at Cuyahoga, Cuyahoga Valley Church, 
Christmas Eve service, the last one was at 11 o'clock. And unlike Midnight Mass, they started at 11, but they were there and there was an entire congregation waiting on pins and needles to hear from us what was going on. And I had sent them a picture of us and the baby from earlier that day. And that night, this congregation of usually a few un, a few people under 200, they saw a picture of my wife and I and our brand new baby, and they celebrated at about 11.20, 11.30 at night the birth of this little girl. 200 people in, in Cleveland, Ohio were marveling at what God had done in our lives, just like Rissa and I were marveling at what God had done in our lives. And then it was a two-hour drive home in light snow with the most precious cargo I'd ever had in my car. I've never been so frightened to drive as I was that night. I wanted to do everything right. I wanted to ease onto the highway. I did not want to skid off into a ditch. I didn't want anybody to get close to my car because I was carrying this baby named Alexa and my sweet wife. And we were on our way home for what was the most precious Christmas to that point in our lives. And we walked through the door about 12.15 on Christmas morning, and I was able to hand my dad his granddaughter, who she is named after. So Alexa and Alex celebrated this miracle of Christmas and the birth of this baby. And all that to say, we want to celebrate this year and every year the miraculous birth of a baby. This God with us. This person of Jesus Christ who is God the Creator, had perfect union with God, and was suddenly thrust into the, into the body of this helpless little child to live a life as we live a life, to be a sacrifice for us so that we could have relationship with God. And that's how I want you to go into this Christmas season. If you're listening to this in August of 2023 or some date in the future, understand this is what Christmas is all about. Take this episode, put it on pause, wait till Christmas, listen to it then. If you're listening to it now, live or soon after it's been released, listen to it now. But understand that this is what Christmas is all about. It's about God with us. It's about Jesus coming to be with us, to be this helpless baby, but knowing that he was going to grow up into this man who would die as a sacrifice for your sin and for mine. So marvel this Christmas. When you sing Silent Night, as you sing O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, as you sing O Holy Night, Whatever it is that you sing in your Christmas church service or around the campfire at home, 
marvel at who this Christ child is. And if you don't know him, get to know him the way I did in 1983 so that this Christmas and every Christmas from here on can have that extra illuminated, I can see kind of moment for you. So as we end tonight, I just want to pray for you. I want to pray that your Christmas 2022 would be the most special, most blessed that it's ever been, that it would be tremendous, that you would feel uh, the love of your family and your friends, that you would be comforted in the absence of those that you've lost, and that you would feel the very real presence of Jesus Christ as he calls on you to celebrate him, Emmanuel, God with us. So let's pray. Father, thank you for the Christ child. Thank you for the man, Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord, that you are God and that you came to live with us, to be God with us, so that you could draw us to yourself, so that you could allow us to have a forever relationship with you. And so we surrender our lives to you tonight, and we look forward to this Christmas season with new eyes, new eyes that can see what it is that you want to accomplish in us and through us. We lift our lives to you, we praise you, and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks. Stay tuned for another episode in two weeks. We're going to get back to ghost sports here pretty quickly, but I have another one in mind in a couple of weeks, so just stay tuned. Thank you so much for being with us. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Aural History. This has been a production of Z Media and is copyrighted with all rights reserved. Join us again next time.